Hello and welcome to the Good Friends of Jackson Elias feed. This is Paul Fricker, but not with a Good Friends of Jackson Elias episode. No, this time I'm bringing you a sample of Mason and Fricker's Eldritch Stories. You can think of this, if you will, like a free CD on the front of a magazine from back in the day. Have a listen, you might like it. So about a year ago, we had an idea for a short fiction podcast. And Mike and I went home and worked on a bunch of short stories, very short stories from like 500 to 1,000 words. So when we read them, they're about 5 to 10 minutes long. And today, I'm going to give you one. No, not one, but two. Two stories for the price of one. First off, we're going to have My Eye by Mike Mason, read by myself. And then second, we'll have Bin Men by myself, read by Mike. If you'd like to listen to more episodes, you can find them wherever you found this podcast. It's podcasts. You know what you're doing. You know where to find podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the regular places. And without further ado, let's have the first of the two episodes. I'll be back at the end to say a little bit more. Welcome to Mason and Fricker's Eldritch Stories. My name is Paul Fricker. Our tale today is about the importance of correct health and safety, a topic so often mocked, but it is there for a reason. Don't forget to wear your goggles. What's wrong with you? Got some dust in my eye, washing it out. You weren't wearing your goggles again, were you? No. His eye was still sore that night. It'd be fine in the morning, he assured himself as he brushed his teeth. The next morning, he stared bleary-eyed in the bathroom mirror. His eye was still bloodshot, and the skin around it felt tender and puffy. Be better later, he thought. At the lab, his concentration was consumed with analysing meteorite fragments. They had wanted the job done quickly. So it was a nose-to-the-grindstone kind of day. Other than an occasional itch, he put the discomfort out of his mind. At lunch, Jason looked concerned. That eye's not looking good. You put something on that? He promised he was going to clean the eye out again. Jason nodded and they went back to discussing football. Following a dash around the supermarket to get some eye wash, he got home and looked in the bathroom mirror. The eye was still a little bloodshot, and the skin around looked less swollen, but was now turning purple. Looks like I've been punched, he thought, as he opened the eye wash bottle. Tipping his head back, he poured some on his eye. The cold liquid ran down his cheek and into his beard. The eye felt better. He wandered out of the bathroom, satisfied, and turned on the TV. The alarm roused him. The eye was painful and, without thinking, he rubbed it as he got out of bed. Sharp, sudden pain made him cry out. He walked to the bathroom, pulling on the light cord above the mirror. The purple bruise around the eye had turned black. The eye was no longer bloodshot but the white now had a distinctly yellow cast. He stared at his face, only now noticing the real change. The iris had changed colour. 
Unlike the grey-blue of his right eye, the iris of his left eye was black. He turned on the room light to check this wasn't some trick cast by the soft glow of the mirror light. It wasn't. He just stood there, that dark eye staring back at him. It was looking at him. I'm going daft, he muttered, and walked out reaching for his phone. A mug of coffee went cold beside him as he scanned the internet, searching terms like iris coloration, heterochromia, and found lots of images of David Bowie's eyes. He ended up reading an article about Bowie having anisocoria and how one of his pupils had been larger than the other, which at times made the irises seem differently coloured. He went back to the mirror. The eye was definitely a different colour, which, according to what he had been reading, wasn't possible. He stood facing his reflection for a long time. Then the left eye moved in its socket slowly turning left and then right. His right eye remained still. Uh, somewhat panicked, he turned his face away. He didn't want to look back, but he couldn't resist. As he turned his face back to the mirror, the left eye was moving independently of his right. Disbelieving, the realisation grew. It was not his eye. It wasn't part of him. It was something other. He felt giddy and nauseous. He blinked, rubbed the eye, and then emptied the bottle of eye wash into it. Yet the sickening sensation was undiminished. As he struggled to come to a reason, an explanation, he kept returning to the same conclusion. It wasn't his eye. It was as if some parasite had taken root in the eye, establishing control. He could feel it growing stronger. He pictured thread-like tendrils growing, attaching to the muscles, snaking out through the optic nerve. A hostile invader spreading ever closer to his brain. When it got there, it would be the one in control. It wanted flesh, his flesh, corrupting each muscle, repurposing them to its own hideous agenda. Soon it would reach his brain and his own flesh would be turned against him. There would be nothing left of him but a screaming mind trapped in darkness. He moved toward the kitchen. His legs weren't working right. He stumbled, catching a handle as his legs gave way. Hands fumbling, his fingers pulled the drawer open and reached inside. As a numbing sensation ran down his arm, his fingers found what he sought and curled around the knife's handle. Lying on the kitchen floor, he plunged the blade into the eye. My Eye was written by Mike Mason and read by Paul Fricker. Find out more at eldritchstories.com Join us again next time for another chilling tale and remember, keep it eldritch. Welcome to Mason and Fricker's Eldritch Stories. My name is Mike Mason. Many of us care for animals that bring joy and comfort in times of difficulty. 
and today's tale is no different. But it's not about a dog or a cat, but rather something else. John doesn't have any fish. He'd had them as a young boy, a big warm tank of shimmering colour. They looked so good when he first got them. Everything was clean and new. The fish were so bright, the water so clean, and the glass so clear, it was like a bright summer day. But as time passed, the lustre wore off. The water became murky and the glass grimy. Ian, his mum, would clean it, but it was never the same. In time, the fish bred, but the offspring were less lustrous with each passing brood. The tank became a millstone around his neck. He longed for the fish to die so he could get rid of the tank altogether. But somehow they lived, and his conscience compelled him to provide at least a modicum of care. Sometimes John would think back to the excitement of seeing the tank when it was new, full of colour and promise. He would feel a pinprick of excitement in his chest, but it was never more than a fleeting thing, no matter how much he tried to savour it. The lounge window looked out onto the street. It needed a clean. People walked by. He recognised some of them. Not that he knew them, but he'd seen them passing by previously. He lit another cigarette. He should probably do something. Then he heard a noise from the kitchen. Was it awake already? He closed his eyes and held his breath. A mewling sound. It was waking up. He pursed his lips and blew out smoke. Opening his eyes, he pushed himself out of the chair. Crumbs and discarded wrappers littered the surface. Even when he did tidy up, it was always unsatisfying. Wiping away the mess just exposed the reality of what lay beneath. Under the scarred plastic work surface was a composite of wooden glue. The stained grouting could be picked out from between cracked ceramic tiles. What were they? 1980s maybe? Fucking ancient. Strip them off. What lies beneath? An off-white tile adhesive, skimmed on by some fella, probably in an old folks' home now. John wondered about the man. For a moment he could picture him fixing the tiles to the wall, singing along to the latest hits on Radio 1, laughing as Steve Wright talked to Mr Angry. In his imagination, John could see the man was making the house into an inviting family home. He looked at the grey reality, his trash, crumbs, dirty cutlery, damp wood, cracked tiles and cupboards full of junk. Beneath it all a layer of plaster over red brick, then just nothing. Peel back the layers and what are you left with? The mewling pulled on his nerves again. Taking a slice from the bread bag, he spread it with crummy marge. Squatting down, he reached into the tattered Amazon box and pulled back the towel. Sensing his presence, the mouth opened to receive the food. It didn't so much bite as suck in a mouthful of the bread. 
John realised he was shaking his head as he peered into the box. They had found the thing a week ago, down in the cellar. Kirsty had been sleeping at his place for a few nights. For some reason, she had gone down into the cellar. The fuck is that? she called to him. Some of the bricks that lined the floor had been forced up out of place, exposing the earth below. From there, crawling across the floor was a grey maggot-like thing, about a foot and a half long. Its front end was tapered, and it seemed to sense its way forward. Wait here! John turned and sprinted up the cellar steps. Kirsty moved to the foot of the stairs, keeping her eyes on the thing. She heard a rattling cutlery drawer and then footsteps behind her. Broom in one hand, bread knife in the other, John stood staring without a clue. When he later recounted the situation to himself, these moments were spent weighing up the situation. Go on then, she said. Go on what? See what it does. He edged forward, broom handle extended before him. It recoiled at the touch of the broom. He turned to Kirsty for approval. Her eyes flickered between his face and the thing on the floor. Well, you just can't leave it there, she said. I know that, just let me think a minute. They retreated to the cellar steps and sat watching it crawl slowly to a halt. Has it gone to sleep? The fuck should I know, said Kirsty. I tell you what, though, I'm not sitting here all night. Do you think we should call someone? Who are you going to call? John quipped, raising a smile. I don't know, like a bloody vet or something, Kirsty replied. What, at half past eleven at night? Come on, let's leave it for now. Later that night, he heard the bedroom door opening, then footsteps going downstairs. He lay still in the darkness. Kirsty would come back soon and tell him the thing was dead. They would wrap it in his old shirt and put it in the bin. The bin men come on Wednesdays. John likes solving problems, but as soon as he fixed one, the world always presented two more. Fuck it. He couldn't lay there not knowing. He grabbed the old shirt and headed downstairs. The cellar door stood open. The light was on. Kirsty, you you all right? Down here, he heard a reply. What's going on? he asked, reluctantly moving towards the steps. Come down, see. It's eating. There she was, sat cross-legged on the cellar floor, feeding the thing a biscuit. It was just hungry, love. Clearly, yet again, the world didn't want his solutions. Fucking bin men, he muttered. You what? Never mind. Bin Men was written by Paul Fricker and read by Mike Mason. Find out more at eldritchstories.com Join us again next time for another chilling tale. And remember, keep it eldritch! Well, I hope you enjoyed those. Those are our latest two episodes. And we're up to, let me see, number nine, episode nine of season one at present. So we've got three more stories to come in this season. And on the off weeks, in between the regular story episodes, we release Eldritch Extras, in which me and Mike, 
Well, we have a chat about all sorts of things like TV, films, games, conventions we've been to, all manner of things. Well, everyone, I think that wraps it up. Just a reminder, you can find us at eldritchstories.com or patreon.com slash eldritchstories. I wasn't sure how it would be, but I've really enjoyed writing the stories and reading them aloud. And I hope people enjoy listening to them. And as we say at the end of each episode, keep it eldritch.